So open up your Bible if you brought it, or if you're at home joining us on Zoom to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Good to see all of you this morning. We have Zooms later on at 10.30. I'm leading one for the 9.33 class. We're going to talk about a fun topic from Proverbs 7. And then uh, I know the Seeker class is meeting. Who's teaching that one? Is that Jeanette today? Gary's teaching that. I knew it was a McKnight. Uh, teaching that class. And then, Daryl, you still got your in-home Bible. Join us on Zoom if you have a chance. That's really a, a good way for us to continue our small groups. Our plan here, while you find Matthew 6, is to continue doing uh, worship service outside this week and next week for September. The Lord has given us such good weather. We have not had a raindrop yet in the midst of this. It's rained all during the week, but it, nothing on Sundays. We'll see about next week. If the weather is still good, we may even meet outside that first week in October as well. Because we know that every Sunday, every time we're outside, you're just safer. It's just better. But our plan is, to, to in the month of October, if the COVID numbers continue to go down and we continue to be safe, is to move inside the building for inside worship service uh, in the month of October and probably move the worship time back to a, a the regular time or closer to the regular time so that's our plan so matthew 6 and if you don't like that then matthew 6 is for you today <laughs> matthew 6 i want to read verses 14 and 15 for if you forgive others this is jesus speaking right after the lord's prayer for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of God, and it's good. The uh, truth of the matter is I have forgiveness issues. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I have serious forgiveness issues. Uh, there was a kid named Mike on the school bus growing up who called me really horrible names that dealt that affected me for a lot of years, and I don't know if I've forgiven him yet. I was like nine. I have forgiveness issues. Um, thinking still about grade school, I had to pay Brian Owens 50 cents because Joe Montana threw a touchdown to Dwight Clark in the 1982 NFC Championship game. Uh, and the San Francisco 49ers beat my Dallas Cowboys at that time. And uh, I've never forgiven Dwight Clark for that. I think that he has died, but I've never forgiven him. I have forgiveness issues. I have a list of grievances. Do you have? There are politicians I have voted for with such hope and desire that they were not current ones. I mean, years ago, remember, I hold these for a long time. And then they, they, they don't do what I thought they were supposed to do. I have forgiveness. I have not forgiven J.J. Abrams for blowing up the planet Vulcan. Still haven't. And he didn't make it any easier when he messed up Ray. Problems. I have... I, whoever invented pumpkin spice, I have problems with. It makes me irrationally angry. It just does. And then every time I mow my grass, I get mad because... Who decided nice, beautiful green grass was pretty? Why couldn't they have just decided moss was pretty too? You don't have to mow moss or rocks or dirt. That looks to me that's good. But every time I gotta I gotta mow my grass because someone decided that's what a house is supposed to look like. It makes me angry. 
Jesus says, I have to forgive all these people. All of them. I don't have a choice. Even J.J. Abrams. I have to forgive him. I have to work through this. Our text is fascinating this morning because it's so clear. It's very rare that you, in my opinion, that you get a Bible verse that is this pointed, this clear, with no wavering. Forgive, and your Father will forgive you. Period. It's that simple. If you fail to forgive, you will not be forgiven. The word he uses is trespasses. That's a good word. It carries back the flavor back into the Lord's Prayer that he had just given. Uh, when we pray the Lord's Prayer in our worship services, we use the word trespass and trespassers. I grew up in a church that used the other word, debt and debtors. I bet some of you did too. It depends on where you grew up and what church you're in. But the word, actually, Jesus would have been using an Aramaic word, korba, uh, K-H-O-B-A, uh, korba. Uh, that that would have meant both. It, it, it's one of those words that means both things. So Matthew goes with the trespasses. Luke, I'm sorry, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew goes with debtor. Luke manages a way to get both of them in the kind of around it, and then Matthew gives us trespass here. It's a good word, trespass. Old Middle English French word, the tres, T-R-E-S, is the same root as trans which means across. So it's like, I think, transatlantic flight. Something goes across something. And passes is the uh, steps. The same word as steps. I think uh, in, in English, we have to take 10 paces and turn around and chew. Don't do that, but paces and passes is the same root word for steps. So the word literally means to, to cross with your steps, to walk across, to step over where you don't belong. Hence, most of the time, when you think of trespassing, you think of that sign that people have on their property, right? What does it say? Come on in and trespass? No, it says no trespassing. So we think of trespassing as a property boundary. And this is kind of the same of sense here, no trespassing. When you have been sinned against is when someone has stepped over and crossed into your life and affected you in a way. That's, that's the root meaning that we're talking about here. A trespass. Someone has gotten into your space. It's a good word, trespass. Uh, other words work. Sin, they've sinned against you. That works fine, too. A trespass to sin. Ah, how about offend? That's a good rendering. If anyone has offended you, forgive them, or your Father in Heaven will not forgive you your offenses. We are an easily offended society right now. Uh, so maybe we have a lot to forgive. Oh, but I've got a better word. I wrestled with this a lot. And I was trying to think, what's... Trespass is just too churchy, I think. And sin may be too theological, I think. And offend, well, that's, you know, that's, that's just too socially corrupt. A good word. What's a good word that I need to work through my forgiveness issues? And I finally found it. Fail. When people fail us, we have to forgive them. Because that's what they do. They fail us when their actions, when they hurt us. They fail us with their words, when they say mean things to us. 
They fail us with their inactions when they don't do something we think they should do. They fail us with their look, their scowl, their gossip. They fail us when they don't live up to the expectations we have of them. Have you ever had that experience in your life where someone didn't really do anything, you just expected more, and so you have a hard time getting over that? Forgiveness. I have to work through these, these failures, and Jesus is telling me, I don't have a choice. If I want to be forgiven where I have failed God, anyone here besides me ever failed God? If I want to be forgiven when I have failed God, I must forgive others who have failed me. That's so clear. I can end the sermon here and send you home on your way. And those of you at Zoom can get back in your pajamas and do whatever it is you're doing when you watch. Or maybe <laughs> go put clothes on. Um, and it'd be great. You're not going to get that lucky because what I want to do is just give you some ideas around forgiveness. People have said through the years some really interesting things with this that helps us get pointed in our thinking. Uh, one quote that comes to my mind uh, is, is more of a teaching from Lewis Smedes. He's the definitive expert on forgiveness. Uh, he died a few years ago, but his book, Forgive and Forget, is a classic. Now, what's interesting about his book title, Forgive and Forget, is his teaching inside the book is the exact opposite. And that's the quote I want to give you. Lewis Smead says we should forgive and remember, not forget. Because forgetting is a divine attribute. Only God can forget. And he chooses to forget as an act of his volitional will. You and I cannot forget. I, there are some and the older I get, the harder this becomes. It's weird. There are some things I want to forget that I can't, and there are some things I want to remember and I can't. <laughs> My brain fails me. I cannot control what I forget. And some people have mistakenly believed that they have failed to forgive someone when they remember it, what they have done over and over again. It's actually the opposite. It is through remembering that we work through the process afresh of forgiving, therefore it is holistic and complete. It is also the way in which we are able to work through our own emotions every day regarding forgiveness. Um, a lot of people, a lot, a lot more than would admit it, carry around ancient grudges, offenses, failures, and they won't openly discuss it. And so they, they've kind of buried it. It's not that they've forgotten it. They have buried it. But the emotion is still there. And what happens is it gets transferred. So you're really mad at your, your father. But your father won't talk to you. Your, your father lets you down. But he won't have the conversation. Or maybe he's dead. You can't make it right with father anymore. And you've never forgiven father. So who gets it? Your son. Your brother your co-worker. Those emotions are always there. By remembering, by working through the process of remembering, and sometimes that's just talking through it. Why are you angry? Who are you mad at? What happened? That brings you to that fresh place of remembering what occurred and then forgiving it from your heart. Forgive and remember. That's what Lewis Smead says. It keeps you from being hurt again by the same person. 
if someone hurts you and you forgive them, if you forget it, if you could, you might get hurt again and therefore jeopardize the relationship again. The goal is to maintain good peace in the relationship. By remembering that they hurt you, you're less likely to put yourself in a position to be hurt by them again, thus rendering yourself vulnerable to the anger of not forgiving. That's a good quote. <laughs> Lewis Smith. Another good quote from Mahatma Gandhi, which I sometimes use as a swear word, and I'm working on that. But I mean actual Gandhi said this. He said that the weak cannot forgive. W-E-A-K. Weak. Weak people cannot forgive. Forgiveness, he says, is an attribute of the strong. It takes great strength emotionally, spiritually, psychologically to forgive someone else. Weakness is to hold on to that anger, to hold on to that grudge, to nurse it, and you know what it eventually leads to is revenge. And in our culture, revenge looks like strength. They hit you, you hit back. That's strength. That's what you're supposed to do. Never mind what Christ has said. Never mind what the Bible teaches. We believe that vengeance is strength. You're able to get an ounce of flesh against those who have taken uh, from you. A pound of flesh for your ounce. That's what strength looks like. But that's actually the opposite. Because vengeance weakens everybody. It only takes a little bit of thinking about it to see the reality in a cultural perspective of Gandhi's words. When you hold on to your anger and you don't forgive, you may feel like you're getting strong from it, but it weakens you because now you've turned into a character of yourself. You're not who you truly are. You hold on to it everywhere you go. You're saying bad things. You're comparing that person. It eats away at you. You lose your own personality because the anger you have takes away from you. And then, at group level, it gets worse. So just think Hatfields, McCoys, Montagues, Capulets, Aggies, Longhorns. It weakens all the structures when you just continually are going for revenge and society becomes unstable. Forgiveness is necessary for stability and stability is necessary for true strength. It all goes back to forgiveness. Weak people can't forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. I believe it also parallels into other ideas of strength. One is spiritual. When I don't forgive other people, my prayers are hindered. My spiritual growth is stunted. And so I become less than I should be. I become a weak, emaciated person who is not strong in the Lord. I also believe the flip side is true. Only strong people forgive, but it takes extra strength to ask somebody else to forgive you when you are wrong. We all know we were wrong, and sometimes we just act like it didn't happen. But really spiritually strong people, strong moral people, will see their faults, will see their own failure, and approach the person who you have wronged and ask for forgiveness. It is a terribly vulnerable position to be in. But it means that you are strong enough to endure the vulnerable position. Weak people are so weak they know that they will collapse in that vulnerable position. Strong people can move through it. It's another great quote. That's Gandhi. Another great quote from C.S. Lewis, who, unlike Gandhi, was actually a Christian. 
C.S. Lewis says that to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable in other people because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And I tell you what, that, that right there just gets me in the center spot because I know the level of my depravity and of my own sin and how I have been forgiven by God. It puts us in good categories with other people. All of your heroes of the Bible have been forgiven by God. Great things. Abraham was forgiven for lying and whatever it was he did with uh, uh, Hagar. Uh, Moses was forgiven for murder and his temper tantrum. David was forgiven for, let's see, line them up. Violence, murder, conspiracy, lying, you name it. He, adultery, I forgot that one. I mean, he broke almost all the Ten Commandments in one night. I should not have turned that into a joke, but it's true. Forgiven. Peter was forgiven for denying Christ. Denying that he even knew Jesus. Paul was forgiven for persecuting the church and for murder. It goes beyond the Bible, though. All of your heroes will have faults. All of them. St. Augustine had a problem with chastity. Um, St. Francis persecuted heretics in his day. George Washington owned slaves. All of your heroes will have faults. They'll have problems. And they're going to need forgiveness. And so do you. And God has forgiven you in Christ for your failures, your offenses, your trespasses, your sins. Because he has forgiven us, we must forgive the inexcusable in other people, whatever they have done. It may be slight. It may be serious. It ranges the whole realm of things. But we must forgive. You don't really have an option if you're going to call yourself a Christ follower. Which brings us to the whole idea of what about truly horrible people who've done truly horrible things. The monsters. The monsters among us. The abusers. The violent. The Aggies. I know. I'm on. I, I just. I, he's wearing that Aggie mask today. I see it. I love him so much. I forgive you, my brother. But monsters. Do you? Are you saying, Jamie? Do you expect me to forgive that person? who when I was a little child did horrible, unthinkable things to me? And there is a part in which we want to... No, of course not. No, no, no. They did wrong. They did horrible. Well, they did wrong. They did do horrible. But you still have to work through forgiveness. Now, that's where we get confused. Because forgiveness does not mean you don't seek justice or that there are no consequences for the actions. What forgiveness means is that you have let go of your personal desire for retribution and of hate. Because that's not doing you any good. Yes, I don't want to treat this glib, and I don't want you to think I'm passing over this, because this doesn't happen fast. Sometimes this takes a long process. Sometimes it takes counseling and a professional, and you move through this. Sometimes it takes decades. It takes a lifetime, perhaps. But we must work to forgive even the most inexcusable things that have happened to us. Not for their benefit, but for ours. And this gets me to the fourth quote I want to share with you. 
This is from Anne Lamont, who says lots of interesting things, most of which cannot be shared in polite conversation. But she has a quote. I found it during uh, the Lenten season. I was doing online quotes, and I even went so far. I wrote it in red marker in uh, Aubrey's office, which is the janitor's closet. And I wrote it on the wall, and it's still there. Anne Lamont says, To not forgive is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Which is what a lot of us do. We nurse our anger and our vindictiveness, and it swells up inside of us. And it just poisons our insight. It doesn't hurt the other person at all. In fact, most of the time, when someone has hurt us, they're usually not even aware of the fact that, that you're upset with them. They're blissfully ignorant. Or if they are aware, they fall into that monster category, which means they don't care. And so your anger, your vitriol that swells up inside you, that keeps you up at night, is not affecting them one little bit. There's no bearing on their life whatsoever. What's it doing to you, though? It's giving you ulcers. It's ruined your happiness. It keeps you, you can't sleep at night because you will not let it go. Because you've drank the rat poison and you're sitting in the corner just waiting for that rat to die when that rat is eating cheese and living fat and happy. That is what has happened to a lot of us. One more quote. I'm not near it done, but just one more quote. I don't want you to think, well, number five, then we can go. No, no, no. This comes from Oscar Wilde, who behind uh, Shakespeare and Tolkien and Jamie Greening may be one of the greatest writers in the English language. He says, of course, you know Oscar Wilde, the picture of Dorian Gray. He says that... And he makes a pointed application to, to our own existence. All these other in general, but he says, children start out, they begin by loving their parents. After time, they judge them. Rarely, if ever, do they forgive them. And if I were to spend time with each one of you and talk with you long enough, there's not a one of us that probably doesn't have something that we've yet to work through in forgiveness of our parents. Something they did. It could be something horrible like abuse, or it could be something as seemingly innocuous as an overly permissive home. Both of those are detrimental and disastrous. You've never forgiven. You hold on to it, and you nurse it. And you hold it against your parents in such a way that it clouds and affects your judgment. But I want to push it further into family life in general. Families are the worst about not forgiving one another. And it goes upwards towards our parents, but it also goes downwards towards our children. And how about, how about this? How about this as an elixir? Perhaps take the initiative with your own children while you're still alive. Because someday you're going to die. I don't want you to be surprised when it happens. And you want to, when you die, to leave behind for your children blessings and peace and happiness. You want to leave gifts behind for them. If you don't work through the forgiveness issues now, 
What you will leave behind is bitterness, cursings, pain. And once you're gone, it makes it much harder for your children to work through it. So work through it now. And it is hard. Remember earlier about forgiveness and asking for forgiveness? The hardest people in the world to ask to forgive you is your children. To look them in the eyes and say, you know, Daddy, Daddy threw you up into the ceiling fan. He's really sorry. He, he knew better. Or, or Daddy said something that was mean and judgmental. I'm sorry. But it's important to do that in the living years. When people are alive, when you can work through it. Because family matters. And you don't want to ruin your family and to poison it with an unforgiving spirit. Five things to think about. Most all Bible commentators who talk about this passage talk about how it's, it's basically an exposition of the Lord's Prayer. But then they almost always say these verses, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, belong with another group of teachings in Matthew. And that's Matthew 18. I'm not going to make you go look there. This is for independent study this, this week. Or maybe if you're bold enough in your small groups, you spend some time talking about that later this morning. Matthew 18, beginning at around verses 15 or so, you have this long treatment on forgiveness. It starts with uh, Jesus referring to what you do when someone's offended you. You, you go to them, you talk to it, then you take two or three along with you, and you, you confront them. And in fact, that famous passage there is the context where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there also. It's in the context of forgiveness that Jesus is uniquely present. Just let that rattle inside of your brain for a moment. But then it goes on in the context that Peter says, you know, Peter, ooh, ooh, I got a question. How many times do I have to forgive my low-life brother? And Jesus says a couple of times. That's not what Jesus says. What does Jesus say? Not seven, 70 times seven. And Peter's over here pulling off his shoes trying to do all the math on that. It's hard to do uh, long-form multiplication with Roman numerals. And he's working through the implications of what that means. And then while he's doing that, Jesus launches into a story. It's a wonderful story. All of us should know this story. It's the story of a man who was very, very rich. How rich? Jeff Bezos rich. Incredibly wealthy. Wanted for nothing. The 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And he wants to raise some capital, maybe to buy some stock in Apple or Tesla. I don't know what he wants, but he wants to raise some capital. So he calls in his creditors, or his debtors. He call, he's the creditor. He's calling the people who owe him stuff. And he brings a man in, and he says, I want you to pay me what you owe me. You owe me a million dollars, and I want it right now. And the guy has been living the high life, right? But it's a borrowed high life. You know these people? They live a lot. They live high on the, growing up, Daddy would have called it high on the hog. But it's all borrowed pigs. And, and so the, 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 the creditor says, you owe me. Pay me now. And he says, I don't have it. Give me some time. I've got some investments off on the Pacific Rim. I've got, when the price of oil comes back up, I'll have some more money. It'll be okay. The pandemic's got my portfolio down. I can't pay you back right now. Uh, we, just give me some more time. And the guy says, 
Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna liquidate everything that you have. I'm gonna throw you out of your apartment, out of your nice home. I'm gonna take all your cars. I'm gonna throw you and your your family out on the street and repossess everything by the end of the month. I'm gonna have liens on all your future earnings. And I was like, wait, I, please, he begs. Please give me more time. And so the rich guy is moved with pity, Jesus says. And he doesn't just give him more time. What does he do? He forgives the whole debt. He forgives everything that was owed. You owe me a million dollars. Right now you owe me nothing. Here's your writ. You owe me nothing because you have begged and you have put yourself at my feet and you have begged for mercy and I have given it to you. You have moved me to compassion. It would be great if Jesus' story ended there. But it doesn't. The guy who's just been forgiven all this debt, a million dollars, walks out of the building where he's just met with a super rich guy, and there on the street he sees he sees the guy that mows his grass. And the guy that mows his grass had borrowed $40 from him the week before because he didn't have gas money. And he walks over to the guy that owes him $40 and says, pay me the $40 you owe me right now. And the guy says, I don't have it. I had to pick a couple other jobs. Uh, uh, my wife got sick, but I'm going to get paid, and I'll be able to give you some money. I'll pay you later. How about this? Can I give you 10 now and pay you in four installments? In fact, I'll pay you 20% you interest. I'll pay you one more week installment, five installments of $10. How about I do that? And I'll pay you back. Please, just give, give me more time. But the man who had just been forgiven a million dollars says, No, I want it now. And he calls the sheriff and has him arrested for stealing gas money from him and gets him out, thrown out of his home, and has his whole life ruined. Seizes his lawn equipment, seizes his business over 40 bucks. Because, you know, rich, powerful people always know how to use the law to their advantage. Well, if the story ended there, that'd be one thing. But Jesus doesn't end the story there. Jesus says word got back around to the super rich Jeff Bezos type. And he heard that the person who he had forgiven a million dollars went all collection agency on the guy that owed him $40. And he comes back with retribution. He comes back and he makes him pay and he seizes everything and he throws him in jail. He does him really good. And he says to him, you are evil. And Jesus finishes by moving out of the story. And Jesus says, so too it is. The end of Matthew 18. But everyone who does not forgive, that is how my Father in heaven treats them. You don't have an option. You and I must forgive. If we're going to follow Jesus. There's no wiggle room here. It is clear. How do you know. When you have forgiven. This is the thing. That I see a lot of folks wrestle with. If, if it's not when you forget about it. Because you can't forget. Then how can I know that I have forgiven. I'll tell you. This is when you know you have forgiven someone. And sometimes you have to do it every day. It's when you can think of this person. Whoever it is. When I can think of uh, Mike on the school bus from grade school, 
actually want good things for him. When my desire is for his life to be whole and good and peaceful. If it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife, you think you want them to be happy with their new spouse, even though they may have done you wrong. If it's a parent, you think you want them to be really happy and content in their old age. You don't want them to get back what you think they deserve. If it's a co-worker, you don't want them fired and out on their ear. You may want them working somewhere else but happy and blessed. Forgiveness is when you want good things in their life. Forgiveness is not just the absence of malice. It doesn't just mean you don't hate them. To forgive them means you want positive things for their future. And this is the key to the better life. Because here is the truth. You are working through to forgive someone else in the same way there is somebody in this world, maybe several somebodies, who have the same feelings about you because you have hurt, offended, trespassed, and sinned. If we don't learn to forgive, you cannot live in community. You cannot live a happy life. We must do so if we want the better life. Forgive. Lord, I give you thanks for these wonderful folks who are here, for these souls. Help us to learn how to forgive. Bring to our memories today those people we need to think through and give us the strength, the courage, the desire to do so. These are our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.